when we die and our soul goes out of this body that is broken and corrupted, the soul reunited with a resurrection body, a material body with flesh and blood and breathing and eating, etc., that lives forever in all of eternity. The Raising of Lazarus. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. In the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Did his closest followers even understand what he was saying? But then, Jesus performed one of his most astounding miracles. Here's David in a message he calls, Lost to Life. Today's section of scripture, John 11 verses 28 through 44, right after Jesus' statement about him being the resurrection and the life, because this, this whole idea of resurrection life is key, central to the Christian faith. Indeed, the Apostle Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that if we don't have the resurrection from the dead and Jesus' life being raised from the dead, we are people most to be pitied. Our faith is in vain, but we do have the resurrection. It is central to our faith, but it's also true. And some people at this point hear from skeptics, and we're going to hear a couple of skeptical questions that skeptics ask in today's message. Well, this resurrection idea, you know, predates Jesus, and the Christian faith merely borrowed it from the Greek faith principally, and therefore, it's just a mimic. It's a mockery of what the Greeks had already come up with, and you look at that as someone who's growing in your faith and may not know the answer, and your eyes widen like a deer in the headlights, and you go, oh no, maybe my faith's not real, and I try in my messages to give you answers to skeptics because it's important for you to know how to do that. Uh, you know, for example, uh, a couple of few weeks ago, we looked at why Christmas is December the 25th, not that it was following along with the pagan practices of that day. It was because Constantine put it on that day as the day when all the other pagan religions worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, Saturn, whatever, and it's to superimpose the reality of Jesus' birth into this world as more important than all of the other pagan religions and indeed dwarfs them in their reality and importance. Well, the same is true with this whole idea that the Greeks thought up the resurrection and the Christians just borrowed it from the Greeks. The Greeks believed in the body and the soul. Plato taught this principally. It has been a part of Western thought for a long time. But his belief system that the Greeks borrowed, and you see it in all of their philosophical thinking, was that the body was evil, but the soul was good. And therefore, when death comes, the soul floats into a kind of universal nihilism, if you will, never to be reunited with the body again because the body is evil. That, that's what the Greeks believed. But if you really look at what Christians believed and the timing of how the Greeks offered resurrection realities into their philosophical thinking, you will see that, first of all, what Jesus taught is that the material resurrection body is perfect and good, and that when we die and our soul goes out of this body that is broken and corrupted, it then receives a resurrection body not floating into nirvana, but floating into the reality of a perfect heavenly existence. The soul reunited with a resurrection body, a material body with flesh and blood and breathing and eating, etc., that lives forever in all of eternity. And when you look at the history of Christians believing that and then Greek thought philosophically, you will see not that Christians borrowed that reality from the Greeks, but just the opposite. 
The Greeks borrowed the reality of resurrection life from Christians. The whole idea of a body and a soul being reunited in a material resurrection body forever is unique to the Christian faith, and you need to know that. In fact, even though there are other religions that had some kind of death and resurrection as a part of their religion, to me that simply says Ecclesiastes 3.11, that God has placed eternity in all of our hearts. All of us have an eternal reality that yearns to believe that there is life beyond this one. And I think the most pagan religions just have a sense that that must be true, but the Christian faith's the one that comes along and says it's definitely true. And it precedes all the other realities of death to life in some kind of resurrection experience. And I just want all of you to know the uniqueness of the Christian faith teaching that and so that you can say to the skeptic when they say, well, the Christians just borrowed that from Greek pagan mythology. You can say that's not true. It's just not true. Go read N.T. Wright, who did an extensive study, a huge book on this very subject, and I've just given you the synopsis of the book. You can tell people it's just not true, and if you have the courage, go read N.T. Wright's extensive historical analysis of this very subject. So, resurrection life. There's an echo of eternity that exists in all of our hearts, and God sent his son Jesus into the world, the first person of the Godhead, the Father, sent his son into the world to die on the cross, to take all of our sins upon himself, then be raised from the dead to give us the reality of a specific, tangible resurrection hope. Now, with that in mind, that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, with the reality that my brother Howard knows that resurrection and that life right now. In the reality that it's unique to the Christian faith, this whole idea of a soul being united with a perfect eternal resurrection body, with that reality that all the world yearns to believe it's true. Don't you? Don't you yearn to believe that you're going to see your loved ones again? Don't you yearn to believe there's life still beyond this one? Don't you yearn to believe that all we've learned here, especially in learning how to love, isn't going to cease at the moment of our deaths or flow into some kind of eternal nirvana, that it's going to continue to exist in all eternity where the people of God love God and love our neighbors perfectly in a great godly eternity? Don't you want to believe that? Well, Jesus came to give us that teaching. And let's continue to move on after he taught about I am the resurrection and the life and asked Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, I do believe this. Let's go to the next verse. In verses 28 through 30, we see these truths. When she, Martha, had said this, that she believed in Jesus and his eternal resurrection glory, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, a couple of points here. Martha comes to this reality. She is the go-getter. She is the extrovert of the family that had Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in it. Mary was the introvert, the more contemplative of the two women in the family, and she was staying back when she knew that Lazarus was dead. Martha went to go meet Jesus coming back from Bethabara, the Jordan River, a 20-mile walk from where he was when he heard that Lazarus was dead. And Martha then goes to Mary and says, the teacher is here. Now, that's fascinating to use the word teacher. Why? Because in that day, Rabbis and teachers did not teach women. 
Uh, They were considered second-class citizens, much less teach themselves to somebody else. But we see in in Luke, the 10th chapter, for example, that Jesus spent time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved their family deeply, and he taught them. Martha was in the kitchen making food, her busy self, and Mary is at Jesus' feet learning. And Jesus is teaching her, and Jesus wants to teach her. Dear friends, we need to acknowledge the giftedness of women, and we need to acknowledge the extraordinary ways they can advance the gospel of the kingdom of God, and they can be taught, and they can teach, and they can be used mightily by the Lord. And the example of that is the fact that Martha calls Jesus teacher when she calls Mary in private to come meet with Jesus. Indeed, Jesus is calling for Mary to come. Are you aware right now that if you don't know Jesus, he's calling for you to come to him? He wants so much to have a personal relationship with you. He loves you so much. That's why he came to this world. That's why he died on the cross. He's calling for you like he was calling for Mary right now. Verse 29, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Didn't hesitate. The teacher wanted her. She obeyed immediately and moved quickly to meet with Jesus. Verse 30, now Jesus had not come yet into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Again, Jesus had come back from Bethabara, a little town on the Jordan River, a 20-mile hike from Bethabara to Bethany, this little town two miles outside of Jerusalem, and he was still on the outskirts of Bethany. He had stopped there, met with Martha when she came out of the village to meet with him, and now Mary comes out of Bethany on the outskirts of the village to meet with Jesus as well. Verse 31, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, we talked last week about how those consoling a family in the grief of the loss of the loved ones, there were some professional mourners, and they would wail and weep loudly, drawing attention to the grief that was surrounding the death of that loved one. Imagine CNN and some of the pictures you see in the Mideast when a life is lost and the people in the streets screaming and wailing and crying out. Some of them were actually hired to do this very thing, again, to show how much the family loved the lost one. They would hire people to come and be professional mourners. But others would come just because they loved the family. So there were those, I think, with Mary inside the house who were simply consoling her because they loved her deeply. May I pause a minute and first of all thank all of you hopesters and others who cared for Marilyn and me this past week. You know, losing a loved one like my big bro Howard, who was my idol, my best friend in some ways, you know, to lose him so suddenly has been grievous. And You know, actually, um, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off over the next couple of weeks, and John Casey's going to preach for me the next two texts because I've learned with grief, grief is spelled L-O-S-S. And the greater the loss, the greater the grief. For example, if you lose your car keys, you have some measure of grief because it's so irritating. But if you lose a loved one, the level of grief is much greater because you love that loved one more than your car keys. Well, Similarly, when you lose something very special and important to you, the grief is extraordinary. It's loss, and the only thing you can do is just cry and grieve over that loss. And 
we're all human. I'm human, Marilyn's human, you're human, and when you lose something, it is terribly painful. And many of you practiced what I call in our lives the last week, the ministry of presence. You know, you didn't try to figure it out for us why Howard at 77 dies when he's still seemingly at the height of his career prowess and working so hard for the kingdom of God. Uh, You just came and were with us. You fixed meals for us and just loved on us. And I want to emphasize here the importance of the ministry of presence. Uh, Evidently, there are those who weren't the hired mourners, but those who just came to console Mary and Martha in their grief of losing their brother Lazarus. I don't think they said a whole lot. They may have cried with Mary, as she was crying, you know, there's Romans 12, 15 that says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Sometimes the only thing you can do with someone who is experiencing awful grief is just go and weep with them. Just cry. Don't give theological diatribes. Don't try to figure it out for them. Don't offer superficial superlatives. Just be. And it's called, again, the ministry of presence. It's actually what Jesus gives us in the Spirit when he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Those of us who believe in him and receive his gift of eternal life by grace through faith, he enters our hearts. The third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, literally is with us always until the close of the age. I have some of my skeptic friends who sometimes say, hey, how's your invisible friend doing today? Is he talking with you? Is he with you? Ha, 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 mocking me for believing in this invisible Holy Spirit who practices the ministry of presence with me daily. And I always respond, you betcha. They go, oh, he's just a crutch. I go, yeah, you're right. And I need to lean on him daily. Because all of us have been given through Jesus the ministry of the presence of the Holy Spirit as we need him as we walk through life. It's so fascinating to me. In in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, it says that Jesus, our high priest, was tempted at every point just like we are. He went through everything that we go through as well. And if you're fearful of death, if you have aches and pains in your body, Jesus has gone through all of that. So as he is with you, knowing what you're going through, he whispers to you, you'll make it. I'm with you. You'll be okay. As he's done with me over this past week in my own grief and loss with my brother Howard. Let me give you another insight into Jesus. In Isaiah 53.3, it says he was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief. Isn't that interesting? A man but acquainted with sorrow and grief. He went through sorrow and grief just like you and I do. And so when we go through sorrow and grief, he knows exactly what we're going through, and he gives us the ministry of his presence. Uh, One other thought on grief as I'm trying to help you walk through maybe your own grief in your own life as you've lost some loved ones or friends, especially during this COVID crisis. Uh, Grief is something we all go through, but we all grieve differently. My guess is Mary and Martha were grieving differently. Martha had to busy herself, go to Jesus. Mary had to be quiet and contemplate the reality of what had just happened. And although we all grieve differently, we all need to grieve. And you need to know that grief is a process, and it can last sometimes for some of you just months and you get over it. For others of you, it needs to last years because it just takes longer for you to process that grief. I've always used this illustration. Grief is like being on the edge of the ocean and then finally deciding to walk in. The water may be up to your waist, and then out of the blue there comes a rogue wave that just knocks you on your backside. Every lifeguard tells you when that happens, go limp. 
go limp, let the wave wash you to the shore, get out of the water again, stand on the shore. You've got a choice. Either walk up to the condor or whatever and never get back in the water again, which means you'll never enjoy the beauty and the splendor of the ocean again. Or you can get back into the water and have some more fun. But if you get back in the water, you need to know that it may be 15 minutes, it may be an hour, it may be two hours, but another rogue wave is going to come. And when it comes, you just need to go limp, let it wash you to the shore, and get back into the water and enjoy the water again. The same is true with grief. God has called you to a life in Jesus that is a life in abundance. When those rogue waves of grief sweep over you, like with a sound, a smell, a word, just something happens that washes over you and knocks you on your backside, just go limp in Jesus' love. Just be overwhelmed with the grace of Jesus and how much he loves you and he'll take care of you, how he's with you and understands what you're going through. Then get up and, folks, get back into life. Don't retreat. Don't be depressed. Don't isolate. Don't stop eating well and exercising. Get back into the water. And then when the next rogue wave hits, just ride it through, and here's what's going to happen. I assure you, walking through this in my own life and having walked through it with many others in 40-plus years of ministry, over time, the rogue waves get less and less in intensity, less frequent and less in intensity. So you will eventually heal. You'll eventually get better. And grief is a process, and you can make it through it. Even though it feels like you can't put your next foot in front of you, you will get through it because the love of Jesus will always be with you and heal you as you continue to move forward. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for joining us. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about how God answers prayers. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city. I'm reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Doug? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center. 
with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, David, in this morning's e-devotion, you wrote about how God answers prayers, and this is something we all need to hear about. I'm asked it regularly. How does God answer prayers? And I have given this answer consistently through the years, for I do think it's the accurate biblical perspective. First of all, God answers prayers by saying yes. Immediately, we get the answer we desire, and it's the time to praise God. We are so overjoyed when God says yes. He does do so, and we love it when he does. My favorite kind. It is for me as well. Uh, Secondly, he says wait. And we all know about that, too. Uh, Delay, though, does not mean God's denial, but there are situations where God asks us to wait. Now, why? Uh, It could be that we need to grow more in our faith. It needs to be perhaps something that we are more appreciative of than we would be if we got the answer immediately. Um, it, It could be that God just knows the future timing and knows that would be the better time to give it to us. But there are times God says, wait. If not, why are there so many biblical adjurations to wait upon the Lord? Mm -hmm. Uh, So secondly, God says, wait. Thirdly, and every listener right now is anticipating me saying that God says no. And I don't believe that, Jen. For those who love the Lord, who are under the shadows of his wings and who trust him with everything, God doesn't say no to our prayers. He says, I've got a better plan. Wow. That there is another plan that he is inaugurating, and it's a good plan for a future and a hope that someone in our lives may have meant it for evil, but God is using it for good. We rest in the absolute security that Romans 8:28 is true, that Genesis 50:20 is true, that God has a plan for our lives, Jeremiah 29:11, and it's for a future, a good future, and a hope. So when we ask a prayer and it's not a yes and it's not even a wait, it's then a God has a better plan. And we can trust him with the timing. We can trust him with the answer. And we know it's going to be good because God himself is good. I love this so much because I know that I have prayed before and sometimes I'm like, I don't hear you, Father. I don't hear a response and see what you're doing. But we can really trust in his goodness at the end of the day. And I remember as a child praying for my grandfather to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. We prayed for 16 years at Mm. bedtime every night. And right when he succumbed to cancer, he gave his life to the Lord. So that is a a powerful testimony that I remember often. Right. And it wasn't an immediate yes. And it was a wait on the Lord. And in a way, it was number three, too, that I have a better plan. Mm -hmm. Isn't it wonderful that God's grace and mercy is given to us not based on the length of our days or our amount of time on this earth or how much work we've done in any capacity. It's based totally on God's sovereign, gracious love given to us freely through Jesus. And if we ask God, have mercy on my soul with our last breath on this planet, he'll have mercy on our souls and Mm -hmm. grant us eternal life. Mm -hmm. We may not have the rewards that others get in heaven, but praise God that people are at least in heaven Mm -hmm. because of God's rich grace and mercy. 
Ephesians 2. So beautiful. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, listeners, thank you for listening. Keep praying. Pray fervently. Just trust God with the answer. I'm David Chadwick, and I look forward to talking with you all tomorrow. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For all of us at Moments of Hope Church, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those who have lost loved ones in Afghanistan.